Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. everyone. Welcome to On The Market. My name is Dave Meyer, joined today by Kathy Fecky. Kathy, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Good. Well, we're going to do a new show format today where Kathy and I are just going to talk about a very important topic, which is rent growth. I don't know if any of you listened to this has have heard or seen some of the headlines recently that rent growth is starting to stall out. And in certain segments, rent growth is actually starting to come down or rents are coming to come down. And there's a lot of noise out there. So we're going to try and make sense of what's actually going on in the rental market. How's that sound, Kathy? Sounds like a very good and important topic. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. 
That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. All right. Well, let's just start and recap what has been going on with rent over the last couple of years. How would you how would you describe in some historical context what what we've seen in terms of rent growth um, since the beginning of the pandemic? Completely manic is the best way I can describe it. Uh, a frenzy, uh, a lot of it based on fear that people won't get anything if they don't get it now. Uh, I've seen enough cycles now to to know that people think the cycle they're in will continue forever, forever, and don't see an end to it, or that cycles change pretty regularly, especially when they are caused by something rare, like a pandemic, you know, this is going to obviously throw a wrench into typical cycles. And people started to think that maybe it was normal, you know, that, that low rates were normal for for home buying, and that the frenzy and the lack of supply would last forever. 
So people act out of fear a lot of times. And, and um, so there was a mixture of people acting out of fear that they would never have a place to live. And also people thinking that the good time, let, you know, let the good times roll forever, that uh, there would be government stimulus forever, low rates forever, and that they could just kind of live remotely and wherever they want and be in control of, of their their employment, uh, you know, tell their boss, hey, I'm going to, if you want me, I'm going to work wherever I want. I mean, it's just been a, a very manic couple of years. That's the best way to, I can describe it. And how how do you think that translates to like rents going up in the way that we've seen them going up? Because the housing market, you know, that's like one side of it. We're seeing a lot of people behave in emotional ways, but there's also this element where seemingly from like a, a renter's perspective, like there's no winning, right? You have to either uh, go to a super expensive home or you're facing super expensive rent. So have you ever seen anything or like, how do you explain why rent has gone up so much? I have never seen rents go up the way they have over the last couple of years, but I haven't seen anything like the last couple of years before <laughs> in my lifetime. With the last couple of years, I would say the kind of mania and the kind of um, loss of of reality that people were experiencing was that they could live anywhere. So when you have people coming from a high priced market moving into say a vacation area, I mean maybe not a typical vacation area, but something that they thought maybe I want to retire there someday, but I can do it now. You know, I could do it now. I can move to this area, and it's cheap, right? So when you have enough people from high priced markets going into more affordable markets. They can pay anything and rents can go up, especially if that area hasn't is expected that kind of wave, that that movement of people. I mean, there were certainly markets that didn't experience double digit rent growth, but the sexy markets really did. Oh, yeah. And that's because a lot of people were migrating to those areas and it looked cheap to them. And they gladly pay 20 percent over what the market rate was because it's still cheap, right? It's still cheap to them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. Like people just got in this frenzy words like the desperation to get a place to live which is terrible i mean like that's just a, not a great place to be but people were overbidding on rent um just for some numbers here on, on average the rent in the u.s went up somewhere between 25 and 35 percent um over the last couple of years which is much faster i don't know about you but like in denver where i have some rental properties it took 10 years to get about 50% rent growth. And Denver was one of the fastest growing rent markets in the country. Now we're seeing that nationwide, like we got 30% rent growth in two years. It's just something that, that doesn't seem sustainable. Um, and I'm just like, I have some theories about what drove that other than the mania, but I'm curious, do you think there's like any macroeconomic, demographic, any other issues that sort of drove this behavior? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. After after the last Great Recession, when builders were wiped, like literally just wiped out from that, um, they were in no hurry to go build more supply at a time when the demographics were really shifting. And this very large group of millennials. I know we've talked about this so many times um, between the age of who are now 29 to 34 and, and forming households. That's the largest segment of the millennials. We're just coming to household formation age starting in 2020. 
right when kind of everything shut down, they were given a whole bunch of stimulus checks and didn't have to go to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was a blast. I mean, some not for everybody, but for a lot of people, they got to go live in Colorado and ski, or they got to go to Florida and live by the beach and things that they normally wouldn't get to do, right? Sounds pretty nice. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. Like, I feel like um, household formation is one of the most underutilized metrics in economics, or at least specifically housing economics. And we've talked a lot about that, to your point, about how millennials, not only are they big demographic, that, that matters, but how many of them are going out and trying to start their own home or their own family is equally, if not more important. Because, I mean, I, I know, for example, for me, when I... I'm a millennial, and for the first many years I was out of college, I lived with a roommate or several roommates. And then at a certain point, when you reach the level of financial stability or capability or need because you start a family or something, you you form a new household. And we've talked a lot about that in terms of how that's driving home prices. But that's a great point that it's also probably driving rent because not only are people more households, they were flush with cash. And so they're like, I'm going to form a household and I'm going to do it with style. And I'm going to like go and pay for something that maybe they previously couldn't afford. Yeah. Most people aren't really thinking long-term. And so if they're suddenly given a big stimulus check and have some freedom, you know, they're going to go live their lives and, and, and try new things. And, and that's great. I think there was a record number of new businesses that were created over the last two years. There's a lot of good that came out of it and a lot of bad. And personally, the bad is, is something that none of us can really fight against because we have zero control over it. And that is the manipulation of the markets, you know, that we've talked about with, with the Federal Reserve, who is now, I think it's pretty common now. I think a lot of people didn't even know what the Federal Reserve was until now. Um, I've been studying for years kind of the control that they have over, over the economy and over us. And I've, I've based a lot of my investing decisions on what they might or might not do. Um, so it basically, when they're going to stimulate the economy, you can pretty much count on the economy being stimulated and growing. When they decide to pull that back, you can pretty much count on things reversing. And that's, that's, that's all it is. That's, that's all it is. When you boil it down, you go up to a bird's eye view and you know look down all it really comes down to is the manipulation of the market from the Federal Reserve. And when we could follow that and follow whether they're pouring money into the economy or pulling it back out, you can either make a lot of money or you can prepare and get out before they pull the money back out. It's like really like a gamble. And I hate to say that, but in, in February, you know, when we're all scratching our heads going, or at least I was like, why are they still stimulating the economy? Why are they still buying mortgage-backed securities to keep mortgages low um, at a time when the, the housing market did not need stimulation? There was already lots of reports on the massive price growth and rent growth. Why would they keep stimulating? Why would they keep printing money? You only do that in a downturn. And we were, we were up and we were up high. Like the, the economy was booming. Um, so in March, when they made it real clear, oh, well, well, we got to stop this train that we, you know, that we put the gas on, <laughs> you know, we've got to slow this train. And they, they made it real clear early on this year that there would be seven rate hikes to slow it down. 
that means they're going to take that money off the table. And I've said this before, and people don't like to hear it, but the way that that happens is usually through stock market crashes, which is what we've seen. That's it. You pull. There's a lot of money that's been pulled out there, a lot less money that people can spend. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I, you know, we didn't bring this up yet, but with young people being kind of super savvy now and, and, and I don't know about savvy is, is the right word, but able to invest in the stock, stock market just on their phone and play it like it's a mm-hmm. casino. Uh, and you're watching your money grow and you take some of that out and you, you spend it and you, you know, you live big, right? There was, mm-hmm. I, I had a friend that I surf with who's like, I want to invest in real estate and, uh, but I only have, you know, 40 grand. And I was like, well, you can do that, you know, but you know, I was kind of telling him the returns you can usually get from a $40,000, you know, cash investment. And he's like, nah, he put it into Tesla stocks. I saw him a year later and he's like, I made 400,000. <laughs> oh my God. So Yeah. But now, now, yeah. Now where is he? You know, he's still like. Probably he's, still up a lot. I mean, it's still up way before where it was. Yeah. I sold Tesla stock in 2020. Not all of it, but way too much of it. That is a very big regret of mine. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of mania we were experiencing over the last two years. And it was exciting, right? And there was money to go do these things and to to get these Airbnbs up and running. That's part of the reason why rent growth went up is when you have that much money circulating, and it was seven trillion extra dollars, right? The amount of money circulating in the last two years, the extra money was fifty percent of what had been there, and it was the amount of money that was circulating completely entirely in two thousand seven. So seven trillion dollars added, and people were having a good time who could get their hands on that money. And like I said, just invest in something and have it go up ten x. I mean, that's. That's amazing. Why would you not gamble it? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we associate Fed action with housing prices, but not necessarily always with rent. But if you look at the pace of rent growth over the last couple of years, it follows the stimulus like pretty carefully. Like at first, even though rents went down, rent actually dropped for the first few years of COVID. But then it just kept going up like linearly, like a true hockey stick. Like if you're watching this on YouTube, it just went straight up the, the charts. Um, but then, you know, when they started to to pull off the the gas, uh, you see that rent growth started to peak around February, March, when people started to realize that the party was coming to an end and we were no longer going to be in this like crazy accelerated economy where money was flowing around and people could pay for everything because their crypto or their stocks or their stimulus checks are enabling them to pay more um, for rent. Um, and I think uh, that's what we're starting to see. So as of now, we are starting to see rents, uh, the pace of growth for rent really start to come down. Back in in uh, February, it was up 17% year over year, which is just insane. Um, but now we're still up 11% year over year, which is still really, really high. But what, what sort of the impetus for this show was and why we wanted to talk about this now is because some data has come out that rent is starting to go down. 
Um, and I wanted, I, I got a lot of questions about this, like, oh, is rent crashing? And let me just first explain that rent going down in September is normal. That is what's supposed to happen. Just like in the housing market, this type of this type of pricing is seasonal. It always peaks over the summer. That's when most people are moving. That's when there's the most demand for apartments. And then starting in September, October, things trail off. If you've ever tried to lease an apartment over the winter, it's pretty tough. There's not a lot of tenants looking looking to move at that point. So you know you might have to drop your prices. So um, seeing rent come down in September of 2022 is actually, in my mind, kind of a good thing. Like this is a sign that we are actually returning to normal seasonality and it's still up 11% year over year. So Kathy, what do you make of it? Like, does this worry you or do you, are you sort of on, on my side of things here thinking that this is like actually maybe a great thing? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. Homelessness has increased and people have been complaining about rents going up 20% in certain areas, 30% in some areas. Absolutely unsustainable, not healthy. Again, a lot of that, like let's take Phoenix or Austin, a lot of that was California money that, hey, you could you could double the rent. It could have gone up 100%. It would still be <laughs> like super cheap for people coming from California. So I will blame a lot of it on Californians taking their money and going to cheaper <laughs> it's markets. It's always you guys. It's always the Californians just screwing things up for everyone. You know, else. New Jersey and New York helped a little too. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, again, these areas where, uh, you know, someone your age is is like, I could live in San Francisco where they have apps showing the poop on the street, right? It's like become a kind of a dirty city. And, um, or you could move to... Phoenix or Austin. I mean, where a lot of millennials are moving. These are the places they're moving. They're cool. They're fun. There's things to do. There's young people. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to probably move to, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a place. Jackson, I, I always pick on Jackson, uh, Mississippi, but that's, that's not on the map, right? That's not the city that you're hearing about. Not a lot of young people moving there. Never makes one of the lists. It's never <laughs> on the top of the like <laughs> the list. <laughs> migration lists. Yeah. Never been to Mississippi. People invest there because it's, Stable. It's stable, right? Um, doesn't really change at all, no matter what's going on. Yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, so I think I think I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, obviously, like it, it makes sense that things are starting to cool down now. Do you worry though that rents are gonna start going down in like some non-seasonal way where we actually are going to see you know, cash flow for existing properties start to decline? I'm not worried. I welcome it. Um, you know, I, I, I have to look at this data as a human versus an investor, right? Because what, what matters most is the health of our country and of the families that live in this country. And, you know, rent needs to stabilize. It, it just, it can't keep going up like that. Just like Home prices can't either. And it was definitely stimulus-based. So we're just coming back to where we should be. Now, at the same time, wages have gone up. Wages have gone up um, in uh, not, I wouldn't say an, an equal rate, but uh, based on the data that we're seeing, the wages went up enough that some of these higher rents are still affordable uh, even even in the C class, I, I mm -hmm. kind of was shocked to see that in the data. Uh, C class apartments tend to get hit 
hard during recessions because that's a that tends to be a group of people that are more transient. They have, um, you know, I look at what happened during COVID. You know, it was it was those jobs that got hit the hardest for sure. And any anything in hospitality, um, of course, they were helped out through the stimulus. But now that those jobs are coming back and wages are up for a lot of people, surprisingly, they're able to afford rents uh, in in a lot of markets because of the higher wages. But seeing the rent growth slow down is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. And we should be rejoicing over that for our country. We should be rejoicing that home price growth has slowed down because a year ago we had a different conversation about that. We didn't know when it would slow down and people were scared they wouldn't have a place to live. There was nothing on the market in some areas. When my daughter bought, she's a typical millennial, age 30, with a baby and a husband and two dogs. And there were two properties available in the area that she wanted to live. Two, two, and and maybe two for sale and two for rent in the price range she could afford. So that's a scary time, right? It's like, are you going to live with mom and dad with your two dogs and your kids? I mean, you know, what are people going to do? So that was the story last year. The Fed came in, turned on the lights, took the <laughs> took the stimulus away, and here we are going, oh, okay, things are going back to normal. The, the headline is different. It's a better headline. It just depends on how you want to interpret that. As an investor, you better be playing defensively. You better not be writing up your pro formas thinking that it's going to be anything like the last two years. It's not. And, and if you... Uh, you know, same with home prices. There are going to be areas that that where there's still just not a su- enough supply for demand and where it's still affordable enough because people moving there or living there still have high salaries. Like North Texas, that's one of the areas we're looking at. $100,000 jobs moving there. We're still buying homes for 200000 So, you know, the numbers work. The numbers work. But as investors, when you see these headlines, you need to be careful. You need to be cautious. You need to make sure that your performance makes sense and that the average person in the area can afford your rent. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I I think that when investors who are looking for existing properties see this, they think that their rents can decline. And that might happen, to be honest. Like, I think there's a chance that that happens. But just to ease people's mind, if this is one of you, it, it is unlikely that rents will fall that far. Unlike housing prices, rent prices are are pretty sticky. Like if you looked at what happened in the Great Recession, housing from like peak to trough, so the highest it was, you know, during the mid 2000s to the lowest it went or bottomed out in about 2011, housing prices dropped 27%. So that was very significant. That is a genuine crash. Rent prices during that time, the worst they went down was 6%. So we're talking about a whole different scale here. So even if, you know, I think most people don't believe that even the price correction for homes will be 27%, but even if it were that bad, rent might only go down a couple percentage points. It's probably very unlikely that um, we see double digit rent drops um, because like we are saying, like people formed new households. And although there was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday talking about how some people are moving in back in with their parents or moving back in, you know, with a roommate, they didn't really provide any data about that. So I, it's hard to know, but I just knowing from personal experience, 
think people are very reluctant to like go back in, leave with their parents. That's sort of like a thing of last resort right now. And right now people are still employed. Like we haven't seen an uptick in job losses. So I think it's, it's, inflation is hurting people's spending power, but I think it's unlikely that we're going to see just like a very significant drop off in demand for rentals at, at any time soon. Yeah. At the end of the day, it always comes down to supply and demand, even when the government is stimulating the economy. And even if rents, if um, mortgages were still at 2%, but we had a glut of inventory, you know, let's just say that we had the, the amount of inventory we had in 2007, which is three times, near, nearly three times what we have today. It was over three million, and 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 mortgages were still at two percent. There might not be the kind of price gains that we've seen. There, there still would be, right? Because people decide, well, if you know, if if mortgages are two percent, I'll take three, right? I'll take four houses. I'll have one in each city that I, you know. <laughs> so people get um, greedy, you know, and want more than one. But. Uh, it, so it comes down to that. We, we still have a supply issue. We still had a decade of slow building because, like I said earlier, builders got wiped out. That is how I got started syndicating. Back in 2009, I had a 40-year veteran developer come to me and say, uh, do you know how to raise money? And I'm like, no, I've never done it. He's like, well, figure it out because he would walk into B of A he would literally walk into the commercial division of B of A. I don't know if I can tell. I guess it's public news now. Um, that he would walk down the aisles and it was boxes to the ceiling of foreclosed subdivisions and foreclosed land. And uh, it was an unbelievable time. So we were able to, to buy up all the stuff that builders had lost during that downturn. And it made sense for us because we were paying 10 cents on the dollar. But you could see why those builders weren't in a hurry to come back. So building was so slow over the last decade while we while our population grew. And this group of millennials that have been given such a hard rap over the last 10 years, basically saying, oh, they're, you know, they're just sitting home on mom's house smoking pot. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but... <laughs> but now they're older, you know, I, I think anyone who was judging them should ask what they were doing when they were in their early 20s, you know. Yeah. Um, now this millennial group is older and and it's a huge demographic and there just simply wasn't supply created for them. Add to it, the baby boomers living longer, you know, feeling healthier. Totally. It's a really, yeah. You know, and there was this all this media headline about Boomers dying. And of course, there's a segment that are, but, you know, and that they were going to leave their homes. There's going to be this glut of inventory from all these old people that die. And that just hasn't happened. They're living longer. There's a very famous uh, real estate person I won't call out, but who has been predicting a crash for years based on this theory that, yeah. that, uh, Boomers were going to all die off and leave just a huge glut of supply. And clearly that's not happening. Just hasn't happened. So with those kinds of headlines and that kind of lousy data that was being shared and that I guess builders were listening to, they're not going to take risks again. You know, they were going to build spec. And and so it, it's just we're behind on supply. I see comments a lot of times um, on the On the Market podcast of people saying, what do you mean? Like, there's... Now there's more, there is more supply. Thank goodness there's more supply. 
but kind of not really. Like it's it just moved down again, right? At least in the new in um in in home in home sales, the inventory just went down again. So it's not better. That there's a little bit more inventory in rentals. And I, I don't know what you saw on that data, but actually absorptions and, and occupancy is is wait, let's see, vacancy is rising in in apartments. So it's something to pay attention to. But home sales and homes on the market, that's declining again. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's incredible. So this is still an issue. Inventory is still an issue, not in every market and maybe not in your market. But overall, nationwide, it's a problem. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just to speak, I, I do want to get back to the multifamily thing in a minute. But just uh, if you didn't see the show a couple months ago with Caitlin Walter, who's from the National Multifamily Housing Council, their organization showed that by 2035, we need 4.3 million new apartment units just to keep up with demand. So yes, like, I think there might be some short term things, which I do want to talk about in terms of like, um, you know, more supply coming on at a time where we might be entering a session like that could create some short term stuff. But long term demand for rent is like going to be huge. I mean, to your point, like we just don't have enough supply. Um, the other thing about uh, you, you mentioned quickly that I want to talk about first um, that bodes well for rents being sticky is that lack of vacancy, right? You know, we've seen in the U.S. that we are now at the point Vacancy is the lowest it's been since 1982. So we're talking about 40 years since we've had vacancy as low as it is now. That's not just multifamily. That's across the whole um, the whole economy. And so when you have rent that, I mean, vacancy that low, it's kind of hard for rents to fall that much. And yeah, we could see vacancy start to tick up. But at this point, there's not really a sign that we're going to start seeing this just lack of demand for rentals. Yeah, my hope is that it just stabilizes and and balances out what it did over the last two years so that the next couple of years, it's just flat. And that's just kind of what we've been seeing in the last month that is flattening. So I, I don't I I don't think there's any chance that rents will just collapse or that we'll have um, a ton of evictions. That is again unlikely. Although it is very sad that homelessness has increased, and I will 100% blame that on on the Fed. You know I will for for all the stimulus because that really separates the the haves and the have-nots. Those who do not own hard assets like real estate are just it's going to be hard to keep up. It's going to be hard to keep up with inflation. Inflation, they will never tame it. It's never been tamed. Just look at prices of anything. Yeah, they target 2 to 3%. They want some inflation. They want inflation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I totally agree. Yeah, like low interest rate environment like this, just it, it inflates asset prices. It's just a fact. And so to your point, you know, we've been in a, what, a 12-year low interest rate environment, 15-year low interest rate environment, like that's going to really create a lot of wealth inequality for the people who do own assets like real estate and the people who don't. Yeah. And I imagine those people will start to move to more affordable areas, which is, again, why one of our strategies right now is to focus on those markets, um, just just steady eddy markets, you know, the, the markets that don't do too much. Um, that, that's kind of my safe place during times like this. Jackson, Mississippi. 
Well, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I I still want to see growth. Like I want to know something cool is happening in that area. You know, there's got to be a big university or, you know, big hospital. Like again, Cleveland is a, a market that we talk about sometimes. Huge medical industry that that's important. We know we do have aging, but baby boomers they won't die, but they're going to stay alive forever and want hospitals. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, no, I totally agree. We do, wouldn't just want to go anywhere, but I think part of part of the challenge here is that the demographic shifts are creating like everyone wanted to move to Austin, to Portland, to Boise. Like rents going up crazy there, and a lot of these markets it it's been above the normal level, but it's not been double digits every year for the last two years. You know, I'm sure, I don't know what Cleveland was off the top of my head, but it wasn't 30% a year. I can tell you that much. Exactly. It did, it did go up, but yeah, definitely. And it was already cheap, right? So going up 10% in a market like that is still pretty darn affordable. Yeah. That's probably not so different from wage growth over the last few years. True. So before we move on to the multifamily stuff, because I want to pepper you with some questions there because I'm curious. But um, just so people know, um, we did I, I did do some analysis and we have a data drop for you guys. So if you're curious about what rent is doing in your market, we have a data drop that shows for the top 100 markets, starts largest markets in the U.S. Um, it's going to show you how rent has performed over the last five years. We're going to talk about it shows you month over month and year over year changes. You can get that by going biggerpockets.com slash rental data. Again, that's top 100 markets, all this amazing data for you. Definitely go check it out. It's free. There's no reason not to do it. Biggerpockets.com slash rental data. But... I wanted to see if there are any markets that are actually declining, not just month over month, because remember, seasonality, not surprised things are going down month over month, but year over year. And there were actually four markets that were, I think I, te- I, I made you guys guess on a recent one, but the number one um, was Spokane, Washington, went down 6%, which... I don't know much about Spokane, but I know it was like one of those crazy boom, boom markets over the last uh, last couple of years. Reno, Nevada um, is is the second one, which I uh, have a friend who bought there at the peak and is very much regretting it right now. Um, And then we have St. Paul and Minneapolis, uh, which are kind of interesting because they implemented a couple of rent and price control things and we're seeing rent start to fall down. So it's just those four cities. So four out of a hundred, personally, I wouldn't be too too concerned about big drops. Yeah. I went to school in Spokane. You did? Whitworth College. Yeah, I know the area. What school? Whitworth College for two years. Yeah. Oh, cool. It was a small Christian college because I I I partied enough in high school that I just wanted to go to a college <laughs> that, that didn't wow. have it. <laughs> wow. I want to know high school Kathy. But I, I know Spokane and it's, you know, it's just not a, a high income growth area. But I think that um, nearby in Coeur d'Alene and... Which has gone nuts too. Went crazy. So Spokane is really just not that far from there. And there, there were definitely some new businesses moving into Spokane. But um, I think it was more of a... Uh, investor frenzy would just be my my guess there. Totally, and and one of the things I think people uh, get wrong sometimes is like when we see like oh people are leaving big cities like Seattle, the vast majority of them stay within the state. You know, it's like we we assume, and you do see people moving to Austin or or to Las Vegas or whatever, but most migration is intrastate migration. And so I'm, I'm just guessing, but I would think like people are tired of Seattle prices making a great income. Um, I've heard 
that area of Washington's really beautiful. So maybe people are uh, just moving there with their Amazon, their Amazon salaries and moving to Spokane, like you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's a quick drive over to Coeur d'Alene. You can still enjoy that and not have to pay those prices. Yeah. But I, I think that's really, it's, it's really the millennial cities that, that pops the most because again, it's such a big demographic and so high paid. So many of, of those young people have, you know, really high salaries and, and could go live quite a, quite a nice life in in some cool hip areas. Totally. Um, so those, those were the only the four markets that went down, but 96 are still going up, um, at least on a month over, uh, a year over year basis. And if you're curious, do you have a guess, uh, about, I have, I've written, I wrote out the top three. One of them's kind of obvious. The two of them are sort of obscure. What do you have any guesses still, still growing very quickly? Ah, I'm looking at my notes and I'm not sure Miami. Yeah, that's number three. Very good. All right. 27% still. 27% year over year Miami. That's crazy. But that was actually three. So Lubbock, Texas. You know a lot about Texas. Where is Lubbock? Uh, You know, I actually have a good friend uh, uh, who who owns a ton of rentals in Lubbock. I'll have to ask him. It's... uh, it's kind of, I think, oil related, oh, okay. <laughs> which is not surprising. Like West Texas, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not good at geography, but your friend is probably enjoying thirty-one percent year-for-year rent growth, which is oh, absolutely yeah. wild. Yeah, I should have listened to him. <laughs> the second is uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, um, which I'm familiar with, near, not so far from where I grew up. Um, but I think that's, that's one of the big stories too, is like, you see, um, cities like New Jersey, like Jersey city, which is right across from Manhattan, um, going up a lot because it was one of the places where rent actually fell in the beginning of the pandemic. So it's recovering and then some, but it sort of distorts the data a little bit, but, um, you do see the, at least the New York metropolitan area rent has recovered and then some at at this point. Yeah, I I think in these areas where we did see so much rent growth, what's important to focus on is which businesses moved there versus which people moved there, because that's what's going to keep it sticky. And, And that's the thing about Miami. That's why I guessed Miami is I know that many New York financial firms moved to Miami. Uh, And I'm surprised it took them so long because it's like Wall Street South. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Like, why would you not choose beaches over snow? I, I don't know. And no state income tax. And no state income tax. So that to me is an area that, you know, I, I don't see it dropping substantially because of that. You've got New York financial giants moving there and they still think it's dirt cheap. Totally. I I, I moved out of New York because I always thought it was like a little bit of a scam. Like, I love New York. I love visiting there. But people put up with a lot there yeah. because they're like, everything's happening here. And you have the small apartment that's super expensive because there is like a lot of culture. There's nightlife. There's great food. There's there's a lot. Yeah. But I think like some people moved during the pandemic. They're like, there's also stuff elsewhere. You know, there's like, some I good food here too. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Miami too. And it, you get a lot more for your money. Oh, that's so funny. I, I br- I've been doing this for 20 years. I would bring kind of California snobs. No offense, y'all, but you know what I'm talking about. And I, 
I would take them to Birmingham or something and take them to an amazing restaurant where they couldn't read. They didn't know what was on the menu. They didn't know what it was. And, uh, and they, you know, I was like, if I blindfolded you, would you not know you were, you know, would, would you think you were in California based on what we're seeing in the buildings? And they were like, we wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, exactly. There's great stuff everywhere. But they just don't know. They just don't know because they hadn't been. Yeah. And I think people got a chance to go travel a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's great. So the last thing I want to talk about before we go is about multifamily rent. So you have experience with this, but what the data I've seen is a little bit contradictory, right? So uh, we, we, we're looking at some of the similar data. So what one thing that we've seen is that occupancy levels in multifamily have gone down. They're still really high. They're still like 95% just for context. Um, you know, they usually hover between 93, 95, and we're still at 95%, but they had shot up to like 98%, um, for, for a couple months now. So that suggests that there could be an increase in vacancy and, you know, when vacancy goes up, rents tend to go down. But at the same time, we're also seeing that the number of lease renewals, people who are choosing to stay in place has also gone up for multifamilies. So these are sort of contradictory data points. So we'd love to just get your read on the multifamily rent market. You know, I just spoke at several conferences and got to hear and, and interview a lot of investors. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give those interviews to you guys and see if um, we put together a YouTube Ooh, video on that. Yeah, just to hear what people are thinking and what they're doing in the multifamily space. So one of the big things I took away from the conference was that uh, We've got to compare today's number to pre-COVID. So look at, in every city, every city's different, right? Every city has uh, different dynamics, different employers moving to the area, different employers leaving the area, right? And um, different dynamics because people are moving in and they have different political views and so forth. So there's been lots of change. But to try to guess what's going to happen when you're underwriting a deal, especially in multifamily, where the difference, if you get it wrong, could be millions and millions of dollars, yeah. right? We know that. <laughs> Jamil shared that with us. You do not want to make a mistake in your underwriting with multifamily. So use numbers in that market to 2018, 2019, you'll get a better idea of what a typical vacancy rate would be in that area. And even better, take the take the decade, you know, take the average of the decade uh, from, you know, 20, starting with 2012, you know, up to 2020. And that will give you a good idea of where we might land in that market. Now, if something really major changed, and that would be really in Florida and Texas, because the big thing, the major things that have changed in those states is so many businesses moving to those states for what you just said, the tax benefits. But also they learned a lot during COVID. They learned that there are certain markets that are more job friendly than others. This is something I've been focused on for years. I'm sure you have too, because it matters if you're a landlord, you want to be in a landlord friendly area. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's easier, right? That laws are in your favor. And that's what a lot of businesses realize. I want to be in a state where the laws are in my favor and where I can keep my doors open. So that, uh, that those two areas, I think you can, you've got to take in, into consideration the amount of new jobs that have come to the area that are permanent, that are not leaving, you know, factories that have been built and, and, um, you know, and so forth and headquarters where, you know, they're it's probably not changing anytime soon. 
Um, but other than that, yeah, I would look at the last 10 years in pre-COVID and, <laughs> and just take the average, the vacancy rate, occupancy, absorption. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to, I, I think that's a great point. We don't, we don't talk about that much, but if you miss rent estimation by, let's say 50 bucks on a single family home, like you're going to be fine. It's not that yeah. big deal. Right. If you miss rent, I, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. If you miss rent by 50 bucks on a 300 unit syndication, that's 600 bucks per year per unit. That's $180,000 per year in revenue, which is a lot, not crazy. But when you consider that the way that multifamily units are valued is by cap rate, if you then, you know, sold that, or if you're selling at a 5% cap rate, that's $3.6 million in value that you're wrong by just estimating $50 off on your rent. So I think that's very wise, uh, very wise advice, Kathy, that to be extra conservative right now, because there is sort of contradictory data. We don't know exactly which direction it's going to move nationally. Um, you know, if you study your market, hopefully you have a better idea of what's happening locally in your market. But um, I think it's true just of generally anything right now. I would personally underwrite anything single family um, with little to no rent growth for the next year or so. Absolutely. And I would assume that cap rates are going to increase, which generally means that the price is going down. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes. <laughs> which is great if you're buying, right? If you're yeah. buying, that's great. Right. Like I, mean, I think James said in a recent episode when we were all chatting, he thinks there's going to be a lot of these opportunities coming on the market too, because people are going to be defaulting. So it does mean there could be opportunity there. Or just even if they're not defaulting, this the values are down. If your if your expenses go up, and again, it's coming back to the nuances of of multifamily and anything commercial, it, it, it all comes down to NOI. And and so, what is your net operating income? What are your expenses? And that determines basically the value of the property. And and so, if it, the the goal is always decrease expenses increase income even by little tiny amounts like you said and that can increase the value by millions but the reverse is true too <laughs> it just goes down ever so slightly if your expenses go up your rents your insurance uh cost of money yeah cost of debt <laughs> exactly <laughs> that is going to affect the the noi it's going to affect the price so again it's, it could be a wonderful opportunity as a buyer and really tough if you're a seller yeah Absolutely. Well, I think that's really, really good advice. Um, just generally speaking, just to sum up sort of what we've talked about today, rents are starting to come down on a month over month basis. That is normal. This is seasonality. This is what we would expect in a normal year in 2021 that didn't happen. And that's what's not normal. That's the concerning thing in my, in my mind is that it didn't follow the pattern that exists every other year. Um, but on a year over year basis, rents are still up 11% year over year nationally. And out of the top hundred individual markets, only four of them have seen individual declines. Vacancy is still really low, but I think anyone who's following the market understands that there is downside risk right now and that you should be careful. If you are underwriting any sorts of new deals, you should be very conservative in what rent estimations uh you're 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 making and i think like for for a couple of years like it honestly people were buying a deal being like oh it's not going to cash flow this year but next year it's going to cash flow um and that probably actually was true for one or two years but like i would not do that anymore like that is that is not wise i would be very uh 
personally recommend being conservative because you probably can be because home prices are probably going to come down in many markets and rents are a little bit stickier. So cash flow prospects are going to be better. And I would recommend just being patient for that. Any other advice you have, Kathy, before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, this is really going to be a good opportunity to get into multifamily. I would just be very cautious if you're investing in somebody else's syndication or if you are embarking on it yourself, that you have somebody on your team that's been through a down market. Because most of the people that I meet at these conferences have only been doing it for a few years. Like me. <laughs> yeah, maybe... maybe the last eight years and, and haven't experienced a real recession. We may or may not have a tough recession ahead of us. We don't know. It could be awful. It could be barely a blip. We, we just don't know. It depends a lot on what the Fed is going to do. And we have zero control over that, like zero. <laughs> it's going to do what they're going to do. So uh, just have someone on your team who's been through a down market and who knows how to navigate that and knows how to underwrite with that stress test in mind. That's a great, that's great advice. Um, and again, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but in, and and no two recessions are alike, but history is your friend too. Like if you go and look at what happened in previous recessions in previous job losses, the last time the fed raised rates like this, you can learn a lot about what might happen and how you can protect yourself and be conservative, but still be opportunistic. I think like that's sort of the the name of the game, right? It's like don't don't get ahead of your skis. Like you wanna you wanna be careful right now, but there will be opportunities if you if you're informed and uh, know how to buy correctly in this market. It would be really cool. Here's an, just a little idea for bigger pockets, but it would be really cool to have some kind of mentorship program where you where you take these people who have been investing in multifamily for 30, 40 years and are maybe all set. They don't need to do anything else. They're raking in the dough from their acquisitions from years ago. But to to come and just give some mentorship and advice to people getting into it, it would it would really help to bring in that that wise counsel. Definitely. Well we do have the boot camps if you haven't I don't know if you've seen any of those, but we have boot camps where people who are uh who are more experienced. I know we have a multifamily boot camp. Are you do you know Matt Faircloth? Yes, of course. Yeah. So Matt and Liz and um who host the Bigger Pockets Invest Her podcast um are both um doing those boot camps and they're they're super experienced. But yeah, I think uh that's great advice. We'll have to uh send those to the higher ups. Well, it's just one of the benefits of Bigger Pockets is there's just so much wisdom on the on the website of people willing to help you and kind of mentor you sometimes just for free. But yeah, we love Matt. We love the fair class. They're the best. They're the nicest people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I honestly, so many people like I, I don't do any mentorship or coaching, but people reach out to me on Instagram and they're like, hey, can you answer this question for me? Or will you mentor me? And I'm like, did you just ask this on the Bigger Pockets forums? Like you can for free get like yeah. dozens of super experienced investors can answer these questions for you and will. And honestly, it's better than having an individual mentor. You'll get a lot of opinions, um, which is really helpful. So if anyone's listening to this, I think like a lot of people who listen to Bigger Pockets podcast don't know we have a website, which is uh, <laughs> which we need to work on. But um, uh, if you don't know, like go on the forums and ask questions. It's like an incredible resource for investors. Um, and to Kathy's point, you can ask people who have been through these types of situations before how they would handle individual, you know, your circumstances or just approach this type of market. 
Very great advice. You can even just put, you know, put the deal that you're thinking about getting, maybe not the address because someone might snatch it from you, but <laughs> just, you know, you'll get so much input. It, it's really an incredible resource. Absolutely. And also, if you're on the website, download the free data drop that we're giving out this week. It is biggerpockets.com slash rental data. Um, it's free and you should absolutely do it. Kathy, thank you for being here. If people want to reach out to you for your sage advice, where should they do that? Oh, thank you. Uh, you can always reach me at, um, well, at Kathy Fedke is my Insta, uh, but also realwealth.com is our company where we help people acquire investment property nationwide. And my uh, syndication company is growdevelopments.com. All right, great. And I am Dave Meyer and at the Data Delis where you can find me on Instagram. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been On The Market and we'll see you next time. On The Market is created by me, Dave Meyer and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire BiggerPockets team. The content on the show On The Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.